There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. We've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week's entire and I were joined by Kimber Lanning. Kimber is the founder and executive director of Local First Arizona. Local First is an organization that promotes and supports companies located in Arizona. We had a great conversation that went from the devastating impact that Amazon.com has on local economies all over the country to the importance of being mindful of where we spend our money, as well as different ways that people can get involved and have an impact. You can find more information about Kimber and Local First at localfirstaz.com, as well as some other spots listed in the show notes. Thanks, as always, for listening, and remember to tell a friend. That's enough about that. Let's go. Well, let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Miner. Hello, folks. Good day to you, sir. Helping us move from awareness to action today is the founder and executive director of the nation's oldest and largest organization supporting and promoting local business, Local First Arizona. Welcome, Kimber Lanning. Great. Thank you so much for having me. We are excited to have you. Um, I was listening this morning to a synopsis of a very famous Harvard study called the Harvard Grant Study. It went for 75 years. It might still be going on, but it was tracking the lifetime of people trying to figure out what made them happy. And one of the big takeaways is that the more areas in your life you can get connected, the better. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that we're suffering from right now is is a lack of connectivity and certainly something we do not get from Amazon.com or or Wells Fargo. So true. (laughs) So, you know, and and to dovetail on that, uh, the Knight Foundation actually did a study called Soul of the Community a couple of years ago. And that study showed that connection to place is the single most leading indicator in places that have prosperity. Hmm. So they found that when people build a prosperous community, it's because they really feel connected there and that when they're connected, they're more likely to vote, they're more likely to volunteer, they're more likely to give charitably, they're even more likely to pay their taxes without complaining because they understand we pay taxes and it goes toward the beautification of our community, to our police and fire. You know, they're not so disconnected. Um, in some places, people just get mad about quote-unquote taxes, okay. and they mix up income tax and property tax and sales tax, and they're very different things, and they're used for very different things. I mean, sales tax is a very localized tax. So I couldn't agree with you more, and I believe that's really what we're trying to do at Local First is better connect people to this place. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is driving uh, the disconnection among Phoenicians in general? What, what is? I think there's it? a number of things, but I also think you know what's really interesting is if you if you look at a person's behavior, uh, let's say you grew up in Chicago, and you just fiercely love Chicago, and. Now you live out here in Phoenix, Arizona, and quite frankly, you won't shut up about how great (laughs) Chicago is. And you've lived here for 15 years, right? Um, And if you ask that person why they love Chicago, they're going to tell you um, a variety of things, but they're going to say the chefs and restaurants. Mm. They're going to say something like, in Chicago, I had the same barber for 40 years. They might say, you know, in my uh, town, I knew the little neighborhood stores. Everybody knew my name. I could call them, and they'd have my stuff waiting All of those things represent local business ownership. And you can take that same person and move them out of Chicago, move them out here to Phoenix, and they eat at Applebee's and shop at Target, go home and close their garage door, 
and they never realize they significantly change their behavior. And in fact, many of those people, if you ask them, they'll say, we don't have a choice. I, I did interviews with people. I had one guy who said, I had the same barber for 40 years in Chicago. I come out here and all you guys have is super cuts. Mm. And I was like, oh, not true. that is so not true. I give me 20 minutes, I'll find you 20 barbers. And right. he goes, really, where? And he'd lived here for 10 years. So it feeds that notion that that's all we have. Those businesses, I'm not even criticizing those businesses, but they do not make you feel connected. Mm -hmm. You can have that experience anywhere. So people often don't think about this. The role that local business ownership and those connections you make, how they make you feel uh, about your hometown. You know, I mean, arguably we could all get on a plane and fly to Chicago tomorrow. And we could eat our breakfast at Denny's and our lunch at Applebee's and go to Chili's for dinner. And then we could shop at Kohl's and Home Depot and Lowe's and go, hmm, what's the big deal? I, I don't get it. Why do right. people love this town so much? Right, right, right. No criticism, but it just wouldn't, it would be any town USA, right? So I think it's critically important, this, this connection thing. It is. And there, it seems as though a lot of the things that connected us in the past, like organized religion, fewer and fewer people are taking part in that. And maybe it's because we are moving around a lot more. So it's that same effect? I think so. I mean, two thirds of Arizonans uh, came from somewhere else and they don't have that wow. history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, they don't have that history and connection to, um, to what is the flavor of this place. And I think that's something that we've always struggled with. Um, yeah. And there's so many layers to that. Uh, for example, if you go to, let's just pick um, Philadelphia or Charleston, those communities were built before the automobile, and they have smaller, more walkable mm. communities. The building stock is more human scale, and therefore those older buildings that have smaller square footage are they are incubator spaces for small and independently owned businesses. Out here in our geography, for many, many years, we sprawled out, we built it new, and you build new, you build for chains. And in fact, it goes right on down the line. I mean, I can dig through the layers of this. Out here in Phoenix, if you want to protect and preserve an older building, or if you want to build something that's creative and different, it is very hard to get it funded because the majority of our money here is in non-local banks. So the people who are underwriting the loans here in Arizona do not live here, and they are not connected here. Um, and therefore, you know, you walk in, you're an independent guy that wants to open up a wine bar in an old house. Hmm. It's incredibly hard to get that funded. Um, and so there's many layers. Part of it is our geography. Um, a part of it is uh, the financial outlook for Arizona. We, we have 96% of our money deposited in non-local banks. 76% of that money is just in Chase Wells and B of A. Those three banks um, don't have localized decision making and, uh, and largely they lend big. Um, I did a, a study looking at their lending habits uh, as we were coming out of that last recession and average loan size was $2 million. And that pretty much cuts out small business altogether right. and we're a small business state. Yeah. If we want to diversify our economy and continue to create jobs, we needed to, to make sure that our money is deposited in banks that have a local bank president that actually makes the decision and can drive down and look at your project. So there's many layers. Uh, to to why our community looks the way it does and why I think we have to work harder to connect people to our place. 
are the the places that you um, mentioned, like the Philadelphia or Charleston, are they? Um, I'm curious to know what do you know the fashion, the percentages of banks that are local there? For those Who's two, doing it well? for those two states, I don't know, but I just did a comparison with uh, with Colorado in Denver. Uh, First Bank that uh, is based out of Denver is the second largest privately owned bank in the nation. Uh, and in the state of Colorado, they're second in holdings after Wells Fargo. Incredibly large. And if you go to their downtown that is hip and happening, and they're leveraging their downtown to land big tech companies and all of that economic development stuff that we salivate over, and they, you can go one at a time. First bank funded it. First bank funded it. First bank funded it. First wow. bank funded it. Right. So I was able to put up side by side the amount of holdings that they have right there, and how much of their great redevelopment occurred because they had that money locally to lend. Wow. Yeah. So it's quite remarkable the way these things are connected. So ten years from now, when when Amazon gobbles up the Rosses and all the big box stores and we're left with strip mall after strip mall of empty businesses. Mm -hmm. What do we do that? Well, um, that I think is what we work to prevent from happening in the first place. Right. Mm -hmm. um, what happens then is that we are subject and vulnerable to certainly not being anywhere near the greatest nation on earth and we are subject to invasion and extreme poverty uh, it paints a very 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 bleak picture but I, I will say the nicest way I can say it is the end of the USA I don't know how else to say that I'm not even a dramatic person but our founding fathers set up laws to prevent they're called antitrust laws to prevent one company from dominating um, Amazon now gets nearly 50% of every online sale. Uh, their uh, tremendous gains in um, the size of the company. Uh, every 55% uh, of every online search now starts with Amazon. And studies are now starting to come out that show um, they are guilty of bait and switch. They are guilty of all kinds of um, uh, funny business. Uh, I'll give you an example. If you're a member of Amazon Prime, a lot of people say, oh, Amazon Prime, I get the best price. Where that notion came from, I don't know. But if you actually compare, 58% of the time you're paying more as an Amazon Prime member than you would as a regular everyday Joe. 24% of the time you pay the same. Hmm. And that only leaves 18% of the time you're actually saving money. Um, another good example is they might show you a picture of a bag of erasers. You know, the little erasers that go on the end of a pencil you know mm. you get 12 of them in a bag and uh, then you get to the checkout and you've actually ordered one pencil eraser for the same price and you don't catch it this happens mm. all day every day and you can look at the comments on Amazon people blame themselves mm. that's a typical bait and switch if Walmart did that people would be all over them but when Amazon does it people go oh stupid me I just paid six forty nine for a single eraser you can't show somebody a picture of 12 erasers in a bag, right. get them to click buy, and then send them one eraser. What's more is that 
you know, there's a few very high-profile cases that Amazon has pushed through to, to ban people from Amazon. You know, one guy, I don't remember the numbers, so, you know, don't quote me. Let's just say he bought thousands of items on Amazon, and he sure. returned 113 of them, and they very publicly banned him from Amazon. So in the comments of people saying, oh, I bought one eraser, I'm an idiot. Well, I don't want to return it because I don't want to get banned from Amazon. I mean, it's brilliant what they've done, you know. Mm. And, and Amazon shoppers are largely more affluent, and they look down their noses at the Walmart shopper. Amazon actually pays 9% less than Walmart. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So this company wow. is quietly, not quietly, very loudly gobbling up um, jobs. The the most recent study that just came out from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance demonstrates that um, Amazon has received $750 million worth of subsidies. They can be held directly accountable for $500,000 worth of property tax uh, loss um, and 150,000 jobs. And when people think about... And that's about, on the national level? or uh, Yeah. Okay. And those numbers are as of the end of 2015, because that's the most recent that we have. But most people think when we talk about job loss, we're talking about retail jobs. And, and this is my favorite, is when a lot of the uh, traditional economic developers, you know, they might go, ah, well, those aren't very important jobs. They're retail jobs, they're not high-paying jobs. Right. But that's not what I'm talking about. So I'll, I'll use this way to explain it. Um, Starbucks, Starbucks could have 30 thousand locations and they're still only going to have one accountant and they're going to have one graphic designer and they're going to have one website developer one payroll service provider and one attorney right and that number goes on and on those are secondary jobs you got 30,000 independent coffee shops they got 30,000 accountants out there you got 30,000 website developers 30,000 payrolls that's dollars circulating through an economy and when you get rid of those frontline businesses it's the secondary jobs that I'm talking about they make the world go round if you, if you end up with one big company, then how the hell are you going to be an accountant or a graphic designer or a website developer, right? It's, right. It, those jobs mm -hmm. all go away. So don't, you know, it's the ecosystem of jobs, not just the retail jobs we're talking about. So the American public right now is, is really snoozing, and they're not aware of this happening. But the amount of job loss, I mean, we've been duped. Can, can you imagine they took your sales tax and subsidized Amazon to de destroy jobs in, in your community? We should be waking up to that. We should be very angry. It is, uh, it, it is terrifying. I was, the, the Dow hit 20,000 today, and so I was, I was paying attention to it, and there was an Amazon story saying that the market capitalization of Amazon is $390 billion, which is bigger than the next eight largest retailers combined included in there is Walmart and Target. So, yeah. yeah. So, Oof. you know, if that doesn't get your, you know, um, the back of your, the little hairs on the back of your neck standing up, we should all be paying attention. I can't tell right you now. how many people say to me, oh, but it's so convenient, you know, and, and getting people from this idea about what's convenient to measuring it over a lifetime. I always tell people, oh, you have kids? How convenient is it going to be when they're 35 years old and they still haven't moved out because there's not enough jobs to go around? Hmm. Is that typically, I, that was going to be one of my questions, is that something like a Walmart or an Amazon, the uh, the pushback and uh, maybe from even the, the work that Local First does and, and saying buy local is folks saying, well, I can just order online and it comes to my house and it's so easy. How do you counteract that behavior? How do you get people to say, all right, I understand what you're saying from an economic standpoint. I will now shift my behavior. Right. So there's there's several different ways to approach it. Um, the one that we tried to do with Local First Arizona, and I think we're fairly successful, 
is to encourage people to just shift a portion of their spending. You know, if I said to you, Centauri, you've got to buy all of your clothes at this one boutique downtown, and I'm really sorry they're only open on Tuesdays from 2 to 4. <laughs> Clearly, you're not going right. to ever do that. But if I said, hey, look at your current spending, and if you, you're spending 28% locally right now, I want you to get to 38%. Okay. And so when you oh. encourage people to make small shifts that are bite-sized, they usually start thinking more um, proactively about their spending. If I can just get folks to think about their spending as a means to building a better or worse economy and future for all of us, I tell college students all the time, you, you're spending, you're actually eliminating your own job opportunities. That's what you're doing. And if we can reconnect people to economy, I feel confident that people will do more than just that 10%. But it's the psychology of saying, listen, I'm not trying to tell you you have to do everything. Like, here's some simple examples. Choose, choose Harkins Theaters. Their competitor is not even an, an American company, right? Family owned and operated, that money stays right here in Arizona. Choose Shamrock Dairy Products when you're at the grocery store. Uh, choose Hickman's Eggs, you know? Go to Bash's, Food City, or AJ's when you have a chance to do so. Get your domain registered with GoDaddy. Um, utilize Infusionsoft instead of Salesforce. There's a million ways. And so people, I think, psychologically, they go to the hardest thing. Well, I'll never be able to buy my clothes, but that's just such a small fraction of your actual spending. You know what I mean? <coughs> right. For most people going to the grocery store, whether you get Shamrock or whatever, doesn't make a difference. So might as well go with the right. local option. Right. I always give people, you know, Hickman's. They have a training program to take ex-convicts and get them uh, reacclimated to going oh, back wow. to work. Isn't that worth an extra five cents a carton? And people go, Yeah, it is. You know. So part of our job at Local First is better telling that story. I mean, Hickman's is the hometown pride. So there's lots of ways that folks can do it. The, the convenience thing, um, again, I, um, I, they're just they're a masterful opponent. They're an, an absolutely masterful opponent. And um, I don't exactly know how to motivate some folks who are not interested in being social in the first place. Mm. And those people are out there. But I can tell you that it's easy to get folks excited to go out to business when business is great. And so we also work really hard on making the independent business just have a, a killer and unique experience that you can't duplicate somewhere else. Um, and one other thing that we've been talking internally is about starting a funny um, advertising campaign to get people thinking about it. You know, it's sort of like, remember that time when he proposed to you and you had to go down to the Amazon warehouse and said no one ever? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, and, and make it so that it actually makes people laugh or like the guy that, that drops a bouquet of flowers from a drone into your yard and mm -hmm. she's all, what is that? <laughs> you I know, yeah. I think it would be really funny to, um, to tackle some of that and, and make people remember that, hey, guess what? Stores, there's, there's stores that are open mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, and they're good for the economy. Right. A couple, of, a couple of ways I want to go with this but can, can you break down for every dollar that I spend on Amazon versus a dollar spent here in Arizona where, where the money goes? Sure. There was a study that was done um, uh, by the Institute for Local Self-Reliance a few years back. And um, they measured it in terms of jobs. So if you spend, as Americans, if we collectively spend $10 million at independently owned businesses, it creates and sustains 114 jobs. If we spend $10 million in chain stores it creates and sustains only 50 jobs. And now think about my, my uh, Starbucks example, mm -hmm. right? So you're creating 50 jobs by spending a chain store. So that's a significant number of jobs that go away. 
You spend the same $10 million on Amazon, you get 14 jobs. So it's, it's that's extremely efficient. <laughs> incredibly shocking. at eliminating jobs, right? I mean, and, and people are so disconnected. I, um, it was powerful. I was talking to this woman, and she was bragging about doing all of her holiday shopping online. And and this is before Amazon was collecting sales tax for the state of Arizona. I mean, the the, the amount of economic leakage from our communities was staggering, right. and yet still convincing our elected officials to do something about it to level the playing field. So, all right, if the sales tax thing is not a good idea, then let's just do away with it altogether. Why do I, as a small retailer, have to collect sales tax if they don't? So, so once we did that, it kind of plugged that hole. But this was before uh, Amazon had uh, had done it. And she's bragging to me about, you know, I didn't even have to pay sales tax, how much she had saved. And then later in the conversation, I found out her husband was a firefighter. And I said to her, wow, I said, what an interesting strategy. You're trying not to pay into the coffers. You're proud that you avoided paying into the coffers that fund your husband's salary. Aren't they laying off firefighters right about now? You know, this was during the recession. Yeah. And her face just paled because it's not that she didn't care. She never thought of it. I mean, how powerful is that that you're so disconnected? Um, we have to stop thinking of the economy as something far away that somebody else is going to fix for us. Mm. And we have to stop thinking as our own budget, as some sort of isolated bottom line. We're all breathing the same air. And if it's going to work, we have to contribute to it and to think strategically about how we're going to grow Arizona's economy. We simply cannot all sit at home and order on Amazon and then scratch our heads and wonder where did all the jobs go. It's not possible. What is a good first step for folks to start educating themselves? If I want to actually become active in this movement, what do I do? Other than you know, shift my spending habits. Right. So get connected to us at Local First. I mean, we have a program for individuals right now. It costs $20 a year to become a localist. You'll start getting uh, newsletters that talk about fun local things that you can do, and you'll surround yourself with people who are all trying to learn. Um, we're going to be starting a new campaign that gives people practical steps for um, things they can do, like the ones I just gave to you. Um, and those will be coming out on a regular basis just to get people go, oh, well, oh, wow, I can do that. You know, um, oh, there's a hard right by my house or whatever it might be. Our goal is to make it easier than you think it is because mm. um, many people think it's complicated or it's hard. And particularly young people who don't remember pre-Amazon. Um, we need to help them remember that, gosh, there's all these great experiences out there just waiting for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that there is a, to that, you know, shame, is, is there a place for a Target in a community or a Walmart? Oh, sure. I don't think, I'm not silly enough to think that they're going to go away. Um, and I understand um, the sort of belief that going to one place and getting everything you need is um, somehow a cost savings. But the reality again and again and again will show us that it's not. And that, um, I mean, we're looking at a study right now that shows, for example, that um, Staples, Office Depot, and Amazon are all guilty of actually raising their prices for back-to-school sales. Yeah, they, they, they know parents are just going to be in a rush and they're trusting the brand and they go out and buy and every single time 
they're actually paying more. <laughs> and and so it's a good little scam. It is. Uh, I mean, they're they're really brilliant about this, and and this power of advertising and and people's belief systems and associating with a brand. But I think that the important thing is that we need to make local business competent and competitive. Um, and we need to call out um, subsidies. You know, uh, you know, Cabela's out in, in Glendale got a $68 million subsidy. Uh, Bass Pro in Mesa got a $32 million subsidy. At one point in time, Walmart was averaging 25 to $30 million per store. And so for those of you who are listening who may not know what a subsidy is, that's when government comes in and offers them extreme benefits. So it could be cash. It could be free land, it could be infrastructure, but it also could be a 10-year tax abatement. That's what Cabela's got. So that means that you go in and you buy something from Cabela's and you pay your sales tax and they get to keep it for 10 years. Walmart was the one that mastered that um, and they said, oh, well, you can't pay us to move into your community, then give us a 10-year tax abatement. And so that's money that's directly coming out of libraries and education and roads and everything else. And we need to be very clear with the American public how that has not only created uh, a place where um, we're subsidizing cheap prices, it's costing us a fortune. You know, I, the way I teach my audiences is I, I'll tell them, I'll say, okay, you love music? All right, my little music store, 50% off forevermore. Forevermore, you just need to give me $10,000 up front. And they'll go, well, no. And I go, well, that's what we do to get these cheap prices. Right. Um, and so part of it is just, educating, informing, and helping people get to a place where they're outraged, you know. And I think that it's important that we stop this dialogue about free market society because we're not in a free market society. If we want to get back to that, then we got to have an honest conversation about stopping subsidies, about... Mm -hmm. um, uh, about enforcing antitrust and, and cr truly create a level playing field. I mean, right now our oil is subsidized, our food is subsidized, um, our banks are subsidized. Uh, we're paying for all of this. And, uh, and, so, and we're so disconnected that we somehow think that that's okay. And so half of the battle is educating and reconnecting people about how the economy actually works and empowering them <clears throat> to do something about it. I might even think it's more than half. But certainly a lot. Yeah. You talked a minute ago about how it's important to teach young people who have not, they don't remember a time before Amazon. And it seems like the, the rise of craft beer and Uber and Airbnb and DIY, seems like people want to sort of get involved locally and just do things, right? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting what you said. So craft beer to me is definitely a local concept. I mean, my little record store, I think you're seeing it um, last year selling vinyl records. We had the best year we've ever had in 30 years. And that's a lot of young people who want to go through playing records. I mean, think about that. They could do digital downloads for free, but they are choosing to buy records. And so there is something in there. Mm -hmm. But Uber, I would not put in that category. I think they are um, a wolf in sheep's clothing, and they are very much a corporate entity that is actually replacing career drivers with hobbyists. So we used to have cab drivers who had insurance, who built a career, and, um, and who had families at home that they provided for no right. more. Uh, they have been eliminated by hobbyists who, uh, and this is a company that wouldn't think about 
uh, taking care of their drivers the way a cab company used to in the old days. So mm-hmm. um, I do not put them in the same category. I put them Fair in enough. the same category as Amazon. Um, it is convenient. We're not thinking about where our money goes. And um, so but that, that's, I just wanted to name that as... as uh, I think Airbnb comes closer to a shared economy concept, but I, I would say there's nothing shared uh, uh, about Uber. That's, that's yeah. certainly reasonable. Yeah. So, but it, it's interesting. I think that um, we're raising a generation that thinks that convenience is the, is the name of the game, and I, I think that's a dangerous precedent. Uh, it should be about relationships. It should be about value, quality exchange, and, uh, and we've forgotten that. You know, I think that, um, and that's a dangerous place to go. When when convenience is your number one criteria, um, that sets us up for disaster. Right. People are motivated certainly by gain, but they're twice as motivated by, by loss. So how best to message to people? You try to scare the heck out of them. You try to say, you know, you're going to be a happier person if, if, if you do this. That is the million-dollar question. Um and I don't think that there's a silver bullet. I, Probably not. I think what I'm working on is, you know, I go and I speak to incredibly left-leaning groups. I speak to business groups. I speak to retirees. I just went and spoke to the Apache Junction Tea Party Association. I will speak to any group to hear what resonates with them. Yeah. Um, and if I can get all of those groups fired up uh, and, and really thinking about pulling their money, I call it pulling your money out of Wall Street, um, then, then people recognize that, that the closer we can um, control, you know, the assets that we're investing in. Because I look at spending as we're investing in an asset. It's like all these people suddenly woke up and realized their money was in Wells Fargo, and Wells Fargo's investments were completely n- values misaligned, right? And and we think we're innocent of that. No, move your money. I mean, that we talked uh, Centauri about how we're what's next, right? Where are we at? There's a lot of challenge. Uh, facing our nation right now and I think the number one thing I would encourage folks to do is move your money uh, move it to a community bank uh, that has uh, localized decision-making and um, you know if you're a small business owner it's amazing what community banks can do uh, personally we bank um, with both Alliance Bank and Pinnacle Bank and they're exceptional uh, if you're in the East Valley look at Gateway Bank um, there's there's some great community banks around where you can actually have a res- uh, relationship with a bank president for those of our listeners that are perhaps not in uh, the Phoenix area, is there a good repository to find nationwide where community banks are? Uh, I think if you just Google community bank um, and your town, uh, that information will come up. Um, there's a lot of uh, banks that are, they call themselves a community bank, but they're not actually, um, they're not local. So if you do two things, Google community bank, but then look under about us and see where they're headquartered. Um, that'll, that'll tell you right there where their decision making is. I mean, think of it this way. An Arizona-based community bank, they don't make money unless they lend locally. They, they don't have another choice, right? right. So um, you, you're ensuring that that money is going to go to grow Arizona's economy in some capacity. So, um, so that, that, that is one recommendation. And then, like I mentioned, I think that, that the small incremental steps, um, and I, I don't think that putting the fear in folks, but I think building awareness and I think telling stories that, that help people feel empathy. You know, I tell a story to folks, particularly if they're graphic designers, website developers, and others. 
I was giving a talk one time and this woman literally smacked herself in the forehead really hard and um, right in the middle of my talk. And I was like, oh my God, are you okay? Right, holy cow. She said, yeah. She said, I just, I'm a graphic designer and I used to have seven employees and now I have five and tomorrow, likely I'll have four. And it never occurred to me until right now that I've been spending all of my money with companies that will never hire me. She was a big chain store shopper. And it never occurred to her. Here she is struggling with her graphic design company right here in Phoenix, Arizona. 100% of her expenditures are going to chain stores that are never going to hire her. And, by the way, who would love to put out a business, all the local businesses that might actually be her future clients. And she just suddenly, this light bulb went off, and she went, I better go out and start doing business locally and meet some of these owners who may actually come back and And give me a job. So I like to sum that up by saying smart money comes back to you. If you spend money and you never see it again, um, then you have not spent it wisely. Smart money's got to come back to you. Spend it locally with a place that that may hire your aunt, that may come back and hire somebody you know, that Mm -hmm. may provide a service that somebody near you might need, um, and, and that's that's the way we keep our economy afloat. If you look at U.S. history, our economy was strongest after World War II, and uh, and that's when we were still, we were big enough to really be manufacturing, we were doing, but we were also doing business very locally. Um, our towns across America have been decimated. You know, one Walmart will drain resources mm-hmm. for 70, 70 square miles at least. So. Um, all of those businesses are gone. How do we rebuild? I don't have the answer to that. You know, Walmart closed 228 rural stores, so they decimated the rural amenities to begin with. The, the hardware store, the clothing store, they're all gone. <coughs> and then they just pull out. How do you possibly rebuild when there's not that many young entrepreneurs that want to go and start a hardware small store. business right, in, right. in a small town America? That's the challenge we're facing. Um, right now here in Arizona, poverty has increased 65% in rural Arizona in the last 25 years. I mean, think about that. And um, we're out there working in rural communities. There's a lot of innovation happening out there. We've got to figure out how to tell their story better. We've got to encourage people here in Phoenix to vacation more in Arizona. Go out to wine country. Go check out places like Cottonwood and Bisbee. It's a total blast. And by the way, you're helping to grow Arizona's economy, you know. Right now, Arizona spends $6.5 billion a year vacationing in California every year. Wow. Right? Um, so I, I'd love to see 10% of that redirected out into our smaller towns. I was at um, ASU yesterday doing, I uh, work with their Changemaker Central program, which is uh, all their uh, students that are really interested in making a social change. And one of the ventures is a um, placemaking group that's trying to do work at the garden at the, the Indian School, like Rillette Central Indian School. And they threw out the stat that 88% of Arizonans do not trust their neighbors. Can you talk to a little bit about that? Oh my goodness, that's sort of depressing. 88% of Arizonans don't trust their neighbors. Yeah. Huh, that's sort of shocking. I I would like to further define trust, like trust for babysitting purposes, or or just trust as if you're going to get shot while you're walking into your home. Um, I'd, I'd like to really define uh, trust. I find that hard to believe. Um, I mean, where I live uh, in the Homestead neighborhood, we just have these amazing um, almost block parties at the holidays. It was super uh, fun to watch. They, they have candy canes up on, on pin shot, big, huge, lighted candy canes. And there must have been 15 families that had big, huge bonfires, you know, those fire pits in their yard, and people were just strolling down the street and meeting their neighbors. So that's the best. I, I think that's a little shocking. But Do you I'd think like that's to, unique, though? Uh, yeah. 
your neighborhood? I don't. I, but again, it, I've not spent any of my life in suburban Phoenix, right? I've always kind of been a little bit more of a central city kind of a person. So I don't know. I mean, where I grew up, which is funny, I grew up at 59th Avenue in Northern, which back then was on the outskirts. And now if you look at a map, it's like dead center yeah. for the valley. Um, so, but, you know, that was a different era. Um, I, 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 I'd be depressed if that were actually true. Um, but I do think that it's important that we, we make an effort to get to know our neighbors. That's how you build great places. And so one of the things that, um, going back to placemaking, Robert Putnam came a couple of weeks ago to talk about uh, the idea of just poverty in America. And one of the things that he can point it back to is that communities do not take care of themselves anymore. Mm -hmm. you're, you're not watching your neighbor's kid. You're not uh, doing community policing. You're not a cohesive group. And that is driving a lot of what's happening from mm -hmm. um, the, the, the most recent, recent decades. Can you talk a little bit about that? I believe what that that's true, but I would add into that you're not supporting the local businesses, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right, a right, kind right, of component right. to that because, I mean, it used to be that the local business, I mean, think of the old story with the, the store owner on the corner. They knew everybody. They knew the goings on in that neighborhood. That and if somebody were broke, it was, you got credit. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, pay me next week, John. I know you're good for it. I mean, we... The business was the center point. And when you remove that, um, I think that what's happening right now is people, back to what I said, they view their own, what's theirs, as an isolated um, from, from their local economy. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is my stuff and I'm going to spend it how I want without realizing that there's a direct impact on your surroundings. So we, we you know, um, I, I think that that's part of the overall degradation, to your point, of connection to place as well. I mean, when we're not connected, um, we retreat and we live more fearfully of, of our neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, and we order more on Amazon because we don't want to go out and we don't know what that experience is going to be like. And it feeds into this narrative that we're all isolated from each other. And I, I really just think, first of all, that's inaccurate. But secondly, um, it's a really dangerous place for this country to be headed. It doesn't financially add up. You end up with um, a very, very, very strong 1% and a very, very, very weak 99%. Um, and we're seeing that. And, you know, people think that um, that's just how somehow happening. No, it's happening because of the way we're spending our money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, just replaced Warren Buffett. Uh, as the second wealthiest man in America. So, um, you know, their tactics are backhanded. I mean, people think it's a trusted brand. I'm here to tell you it is not a trusted brand. And, and read the studies. Uh, there was a, another thing that really caught my attention with Amazon is um, they are uh, changing prices on 30,000 items all, you know, every uh, every day. I mean, things are, they're flooding the market with the exact same items so that they come up in all kinds of searches. I mean, that's impacting Google searches. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, um, and, and if you don't look around, you know, people tend to think, well, the cheapest one comes up first. Absolutely not true. Absolutely. If you think that you're buying, you're an Amazon Prime member and you buy the first one comes up because you trust Amazon, then I got to tell you, I'm going to come over to your house and I'm going to sell you some alligators because you're like clueless <laughs> about uh, where your money's going. I mean, people need to look at it. No question about it. And it sounds, what I've taken so far is that there's a lot of things that, that the individual can do from their behaviors. Somebody that's listening and says, wow, these subsidies that I'm hearing, that's nonsense. How do I, how do I stop that? Is that the state level? Is that, and, um, and, and, and how do I get involved? Do I call my city councilman? Do I call 
Mm-hmm. So those are, um, that's an excellent question. Those are economic development professionals that usually work for municipalities. So think about how we've got the cards stacked. Economic development professionals are judged on the number of jobs they create, period. So they're going to use whatever means they possibly can to quote unquote create jobs. I can sit here and say that for every two jobs, a chain store creates three jobs or lost. Those are studies that have been proven. Economic developers get to take credit for the jobs that were created without getting the blame for the jobs that were eliminated, right? So they, they get the bonus, they get the raise for creating these jobs. So we need to think differently about how we measure the success of an economic development professional, i.e. part of the definition of economic development is improving quality of life. Right. And we've forgotten that in the race to quote-unquote create jobs. <clears throat> so the... The goal here is to squawk very loud as community members when you hear about these deals. Um, you know, when, when the Cabela's deal went down, the, um, I kid you not, the front page of the Arizona Republic read, Cabela's coming to Glendale to be the second largest tourist attraction after the Grand Canyon. <laughs> wow. Well, that's an indictment of a lot, but... That is... Maybe I don't know what a Cabela's is. It is just a, it's just an outdoor store. I mean, people, I always, I tease people like, they sell tents and fishing tackle and people think that's what they do, but they're actually in the business of subsidies. They come in and sell a bill of goods uh, and these economic development professionals buy it and they give a lot of statistics on the um, sales tax revenue they're going to generate. I mean, most city level people will tell you over and over and over, we need to change to drive sales tax revenue as if local businesses don't drive sales tax right, revenue. Right. And that's because they've been told by, I mean, these chains have the teams to fly out here and play that game of golf and convince you that our way is the best way. And if you want us, you got to pay us. And they're, and they're masterful at it. Um, so you take, you know, like in Mesa, um, Bass Pro got that, that big subsidy before Scott Smith became mayor. And all you had to do is bring up Bass Pro and just steam coming out of his ears because the previous mayor never put in there that their tax abatement that they received would be null and void if they didn't hit the numbers that they promised to. And they never did. There was no way to hold them accountable. Mm. So they walked away. They were totally... Um, missing all of their projections and they still are today um in fact there's talks that cabela's is going to buy bass pro uh and um so that'll be know. the third largest tourist attraction exactly <laughs> uh and, and another <clears throat> monopoly which we are not supposed to have in this country i will remind you um but it, it, it for the question it is not the feds it is not the state it is the municipal level and generally it's about calling and educating your city council members and mayors so that they are not fooled by economic development professionals who claim that these are good deals for the taxpayer. And, and another thing to just simply say is if you do those deals, we will demonstrate to you how you're ripping off the taxpayer, you know. Um, and that usually will straighten up anybody who leans to the left or the right, you know, because nobody wants to be called out on, on wasting taxpayer money. Um, but, that, but that's, you know, that's really essentially those are not good spends. One thing, since we're talking so much about subsidies, I do want to say is there is a big difference between subsidizing base industry sector jobs and subsidizing chain stores. I acknowledge we can't just lump all subsidies in and say they're all bad. 
Um, I questioned some of the even bigger, you know, when we subsidized, I think it was, I, I hate to say the number because I don't remember it exactly, uh, Google Glass. Everybody remembers when we were excited Google Glass was coming in. They got a massive subsidy. And then nine months later, they laid, they created 900 jobs. And of course, the economic development professional that landed that gig got a bonus and a raise. And then they fired everybody quietly a year later and moved to somebody else's state. They got to keep the money. They didn't create 900 jobs. And somewhere, there's an economic development professional that's wearing that like a feather in their cap. Right. Wow. And we're just, we, we lose attention. It's like, yeah, everybody's happy we got that job. And then nobody's there when the jobs all go away. You know, it's like a blip. So I think we need to speak very loudly about those deals and measure. What I talk about is measuring the true value. What is the true value of that deal? It is not about the short term. It has to be measured over long term. Like a simple economic study that we did um, looking at the state's purchasing habits. This is another way we, we get ourselves all screwed up. The procurement guy is sitting there going, well, I'm tasked with saving taxpayer money and I have to spend the least amount possible. So the bid comes in for a $5 million contract for office supplies. Staples had the cheapest bid. Makes perfect sense to most people. They'd win the contract. But I'm saying, hey, Staples has 65% part-time employees in the state of Arizona with no health care benefits. They end up on the state health care program. How much is that costing taxpayers? Okay, is there another alternative where maybe there's a company that sells office supplies that has full-time employee benefits, right? Well, there is. It's called WIST, and they're an Arizona company. They came in with a higher bid, but when you factor in the cost of healthcare, WIST has 100% full-time employees with healthcare benefits. Of course, they were more. They're actually paying the true cost of doing business. Right. <coughs> um, uh, and so we did an economic study looking at just that, and we proved that the state of Arizona is losing a half a million dollars a year on office supplies. Wow. Because of the way they're awarding their contract. So when I talk about measuring the true value, it makes sense when I sit here and talk about it, but there's entire teams of procurement divisions who just simply think they're saving money. Yeah. You know, another thing to look at is Staples. They pack and process, they don't now, but then they used to pack and process our orders in Los Angeles and ship them here via FedEx. So we can look at that and say, okay, the state spent $5 million and that didn't even create a single Arizona job. You know, you spend $5 million with WIST. Not only do you support the employees of WIST, but they have local accountants and local graphic designers and website developers, and those dollars re, you know, recirculate through Arizona's economy. So we need to educate ourselves because we can't be the taxpayer that calls and says, you spent money on the more expensive bid when you don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Right? So think about the true value of how that money spent impacts Arizona's economy. Which is incredible. So... When I hear about, and I'm not beating up subsidies in general, but I hear about it's it's going to be another Cabela's or a Bass Pro Shop that's going to go in, in in Phoenix. Should I pick up the phone and call my, my folks, or are they already hearing from so many people? No, they're not hearing from anybody, I can guarantee you. Um, right. So I think what you do is you start by asking, are they being incentivized or subsidized in any way? That has to be the first question. There is a law that we were able to pass. Um, actually, uh, Senator Chevrant was the one who took the lead on this. Uh, some of you may remember uh, him. But there is a state law that says the state now has the ability to withhold re tax revenue from the cities to the tune of whatever it is they gave away in a subsidy. So if they give away a cash subsidy, 
the state can withhold that money from them. That, that law does exist, um, like it or not. Um, but there's nobody that can, that can prevent them from uh, doing tax abatements or delivering free land or infrastructure. So I think those are really important questions to ask. If those big chains are coming in, are they paying their own way? That's the right. way to start the call. Are they paying their own way? Because I know the local guys got to pay their own way. There's not a local company out there that ever got subsidized. We had Councilman Jim Waring on recently, and he definitely um, encouraged everybody to reach out to their elected officials, and that they're mm -hmm. always glad to hear from their constituents. And certainly not enough people do reach out. It's kind of like thinking about it in terms of voting. People just don't probably vote enough. You, I know. You need to take advantage and take take part in this process just, just like anything else since we are stakeholders. So Agreed. You've got to get involved. And don't think that you have to have all the answers to, to pick up the phone and ask the questions. You have talking points on the website? We do. Which is? Localfirstaz.com. Uh, go under the tab that's called Learn. Excellent. And we'll have all the information about Kimber and her, and her group um, on the show notes as well. Centauri, any other alternative facts that you wanted to share with us today? <laughs> no, I think that's great. Thank you, Kimber, for your time. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. I love these conversations. We, uh, we, we very much appreciate it. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show and tell a friend. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.